0: This is VOCM News Talk. Call 709-273-5211 or 1-888-590-8626. The views and opinions of this program are not necessarily those of this station. Here's VOCM News Talk host Linda Swain.
1: Well, good afternoon, everyone. On this Friday afternoon, what a difference a day makes. Um, yesterday, uh, it was touch and go in St. John's, quite literally, uh, with these uh, snow squalls that were passing through, and Corner Brook got half hammered hammered and we're going to talk a little bit more about that uh, coming up a little later on the show in the way that uh, the whole school situation was handled there uh, but for now we have uh, a bit of breaking news for you the rnc have made a number of arrests following a series of troubling robberies and attacks in mount pearl that police believe are random however linked Uh, So the attacks on people, the, the victims have been random. The people perpetrating the crimes apparently linked. There's been plenty of chatter on social media concerning a spike in youth crime and references to something called, would you believe, the Mount Pearl Death Squad. Well, RNC Constable James Cadigan joins me now. Hello, Constable James Cadigan.
2: Hey, Elena, how are you?
1: Good. So uh, we're getting reports of increased um, criminal activity in the Mount Pearl area that's causing quite a bit of uh, concern. What can RNC tell us? Uh,
2: within the past week, uh, the RNC did receive multiple reports of uh, violent events involving youth suspects in the oh. Mount Pearl area. Uh, so that investigation into those multiple events uh is being carried out by the RNC's major crime unit of the Criminal Investigation Division. Uh, At this stage, they have made uh, a number of arrests and continue to progress that investigation. Um, Two events notably reported uh, occurred on January 16th and another on January 17th. Uh, So essentially, we are still gathering information related to these events, uh, the persons uh, injured in the violent events uh, are not linked or, or related. Like there's no, uh, uh, they're not known to one another. So uh, they're, they're more random uh, events, but uh, the suspects, we believe, are all known to one another in this case. And uh, we're continuing to seek any information related to these events as we progress the investigations.
1: So, these are a little more troubling when they when they're random in nature, I mean all crime is troubling, but um you know when it's random in nature and people are actually getting injured
2: yeah, certainly, and uh, when you're dealing with youth uh incidents uh you know of course, we have to protect the privacy of the youth, and uh you know we can 't post photographs uh, publicly or anything like that, so uh, the investigators are uh currently still gathering information, both. Uh, video evidence, uh, you know, carrying out interviews and so on. And uh, as I've said, they've made uh, multiple arrests at this stage and continue to uh, seek further uh, action in connection with these events.
1: Is the RNC able to comment on, uh, you know, suggestions that this might be a little more uh, organized? Uh, We're hearing a name called the Mount Pearl Death Squad.
2: Yeah, I wouldn't be able to confirm any any of those points. Uh, what I would say is that uh, we've received reports of uh, violent events, and as we do with any reports of violent events, we look to gather evidence and information to lead us uh, to a conclusion. And in this case, we have made uh, multiple arrests, as I've mentioned, and uh, we're continuing to uh, progress this investigation to hold those, uh, you know, uh, those involved with these violent acts accountable.
1: What's the nature of the injuries here?
2: Uh, I don't have that information right now. I know that, uh, you know, there's there's nothing uh, life-threatening uh, involved, but uh, there were injuries resulting from the events, and, uh, you know, we're continuing to gather information related to that.
1: And I suppose anyone with information is uh, encouraged to contact the RNC.
2: Certainly, you know, as we've said on many occasions, you know, when we gather information, you consider if you have any video evidence, whether it be CCTV, uh, cell phone, dash camera, uh, you know, one of these events, uh, the one that occurred on January 16th, uh, happened outdoors in the area of uh, the Reed Center, near the Reed Center in uh, Mount Pearl. So if you have anything, whether it be video or or witness information that can assist our investigation, uh, you can contact the RNC at 729-8000.
1: Constable James Cadigan, I do appreciate your time. Thank you. No problem. Well, to say it's disturbing is uh, is an understatement. Um, a number of uh, apparently random attacks and robberies in Mount Pearl in recent weeks. And uh, James Cadigan told me uh, that they're uh, still gathering information on uh, reports that they're continuing to get in about a number of um, different things that may be linked, may or may not be linked. So, uh, yeah, very disturbing indeed. If you're aware of any of this, uh, this kind of behavior, because we are aware of, Lots of chatter online and in social media. Uh, Give the RNC a call if you are aware of anything specifically. And uh, because uh, we are talking primarily about uh, minors, just be aware before you decide to share any potential video or images or whatever the case may be because you were talking about minors and there are... Laws laws that protect minors. uh, And they're there for a reason. So uh, just a little casual reminder to people, because we all tend to get a little carried away and be, you know. Wouldn't hurt to send to
3: police, though, as you mentioned, or crime stoppers.
1: Definitely let police know or, uh, like you say, contact crime stoppers if you are aware of any behavior or you become aware of who knows? Tin Talks and Snapchats and all the rest of it.
3: The more information that comes out in the news, the better, uh, because people now are probably going to feel afraid to do their regular things in Mount Pearl. So
1: Well, a number of arrests have been you made, know. so that's encouraging yeah. in and of itself. Uh, so, um, you know, I, I wouldn't want people to be afraid exactly. to go out and around. But uh, to be aware that, you know, for some reason, something has been or will is happening I'm not sure but uh, like we say a a number of arrests have been made and because uh, some of the people involved are minors it's unlikely you'll get names or anything like that uh, out in the public and those kinds of things it's very difficult to follow those up in court if you know what I mean but anyway uh, be that as it may we'll keep you up to date uh, if and when we hear anything further on that unfolding story well as you know Claudette But discussion dominated yesterday by the situation involving the weather, in particular in the Corner Brook region, and in particular as it related to uh, schools, uh, because a decision was made to keep schools open, and then at the end of the school day... um, road conditions, road and weather conditions were simply too treacherous to get the buses out on the road. Kids did get home eventually, but a lot of questions have been asked about, uh, you know, how that decision-making process came to be. Well, we'll hear more from the uh, NLTA when we come back after the break. This is News Talk on VOCM.
0: Stay informed and have your say on the news of the day with your VOCM. Join Linda Swain weekday afternoons from 4 to 5 p.m. for an hour of talk and discussion with decision-makers and listeners like you. News talk on your VOCM.
1: And we are back on VOCM News Talk where we are, um, uh, the situation yesterday, of course, was that um, we saw these uh, persistent snow squalls in the uh, Corner Brook area. They just uh, stayed put. They weren't really coming in in big waves, but, uh, you know, uh, really dumping the area with snow and extremely high winds. And, of course, Claudette, still windy as heck out
3: there. It is, even though it looks fine but you're you bet it's certainly blown a gale
1: yeah and it's that weird wind that you it sounds like and it's, it's noisy roaring it's at you.
3: ominous yeah. it's it just feels like the world is off kilter
1: <laughs> it feels it, it sounds like a creature
3: yeah it find? sounds like it'd be great in some sort of a mystery novel I went out to the car, yes, across the parking lot yesterday and
1: went out to the car and all I could hear was the, <laughs> you know, like it was angry. That's yeah. what it is. It's an angry yeah, wind. Cause I mean, we get a lot of wind in Newfoundland and Labrador, mm-hmm. but this one was like, it felt like it was slapping you around, <laughs> you know, like a <laughs> bong, bong <laughs> from different directions. Even, even when you're driving your car, it was like, Ooh, that way, Ooh, this way, you know, like I'm walking
3: too with the ice and yeah, it just wasn't fun. Yeah.
1: But anyway, it was a dirty, dirty old day yesterday and is continuing to be a little bit dirty there now although uh, thankfully in the the metro area we don't have uh, the same level of precipitation that we did yesterday but uh, that's raising a lot of questions especially in the Corner Brook area and the teachers union is digging into what went wrong in the Corner Brook area yesterday after some students and staff were stranded for a period of time in schools due to treacherous weather conditions. Well I spoke with NLTA President Trent Langdon earlier today. Well good afternoon Trent Langdon.
4: Good afternoon, Linda.
1: So we saw this situation evolve uh, in the Cornerbrook area ye- uh, yesterday, and it's still quite bad out there today from what I understand, but really we had this unique circumstance where we had uh, uh, this uh, really intense um, line of um, snow squalls and snow and uh, high winds and the like, uh, you know, really targeting the Cornerbrook region, and schools were open, and then the schools found themselves in the position of saying, uh-oh, uh, Um, How are we getting these kids home? That's led to a lot of questions from parents. Uh, Are you hearing anything from teachers on that?
4: Yeah, significant outreach, Linda, uh, from our members in the Cornerbrook area. Um, uh, really uh, uh, a great sense of, of worry, great sense of uh, uncertainty uh, unfolded yesterday that, um, that it led to a risky situation but, uh, to, to place all of those students as well as the, the teachers in those schools uh, within yesterday. Um, and ultimately something that could have been avoided. Uh, you know, we have difficult, difficulty understanding how... This kind of weather event that was anticipated uh, on multiple fronts uh, of this severity uh, could have been unanticipated. It was, it was, it was anticipated, um, and we've always been advocates of erring on the side of caution. I know fully that the instructional time is important and having children in schools, but uh, in the end, um, erring on the side of caution, especially on days like this where it's really gray, what, how it's going to play out? In a perfect world, nothing would have happened, but uh, the worst-case scenario uh, evolved and developed yesterday, and we found schools in some. Pretty risky situations.
1: So what were you know some of the scenarios? Did uh, teachers have to stay back and uh, keep an eye on kids for an extended period? What
4: I'm hearing, and again, this is anecdotal, so I, uh, you know, you're certainly in a better position to speak directly with the employer, but what I'm hearing uh, anecdotally is that um, the way it all played out depended on the school, and uh, we had situations where you, you can imagine you, you may have hundreds of children in a building, and you've got to make individual contact with all those homes uh, trying to find ways to... to, to uh, develop a, an evacuation, ultimately plan of getting all these children home in a, in a weather event. Uh, and as many people think, you know, when you think of an office and you might close for the day, uh, everyone's an adult, you, you get them home, people leave according to their comfort zones, uh, lesser numbers, but if you put, just say for example in Cornerbrook, you put 700 people in, in the Civic Center and you've got to evacuate all of them and getting get them home during a weather event, very unnerving. And when you're talking younger kids, you're talking kids with special needs, you're talking you know, even uh, some of our older teens that might be struggling with anxiety and so on. Uh, what I'm hearing from our members, it was a very unnerving day, and the uncertainty of how it was going to play out. Our, uh, many of our members didn't know if they could be uh, there into the into the late hours of the night or even overnight. And our schools aren't aren't equipped. To uh, to service that type of situation, uh, just in terms of uh, you know uh, sleeping accommodations, or in terms of even food and so on. So uh, we we really do feel that this this could have been avoided with with the proper decision to err on the side of caution and just not open yesterday.
1: Uh, yeah, we were getting reports of, you know, children in the classroom crying and everything yes, and yeah, and yeah. teachers being put in the position of trying to explain a scenario that probably they had no, you know, input on, if you know what I'm saying. So, right, right. Was this symptomatic, do you think, of uh, maybe the new structure of the school system now that it's been moved to the department? I would imagine when these things happen, you know, administration will make a phone call and say, uh, we think we should close the schools. Do you know how any of that played out? Right. So
4: our, our job now, it started yesterday, actually. A lot of phone calls are being made, meetings are being held with the employer to say, okay, look, how did this all unfold? And, um, you know, our, our call right now is to have this thoroughly investigated. This is, this is a significant incident. Uh, hundreds and hundreds of families were impacted. Uh, many teachers were impacted. And what people don't realize, too, is, that, you know, our teachers had their own families that uh, they had to try and find ways to get them home. And colleagues were stepping in for colleagues to help out. And But we did need to have this incident investigated. There needs to be full transparency on the part of the employer um, with a report back. I think that's owed to the families. I think it's owed to uh, the teachers. And there needs to be accountability here. Uh, We we know full well, you know, uh, with regards to forecasting the weather, it's not a perfect science, but it's 2024. There's enough technological means. Um, There's enough history in this province to know that uh, the weather is Unpredictable at best, but this was certainly anticipated. And uh, uh, you know, if we were talking a full-fledged blizzard where there was extended wind or high winds and extended snowfall accumulation over a long period of time, that's dangerous. But this, in some ways, is is a little bit more difficult because it was it was um, uh, it was sporadic, and you didn't know when there was going to be whiteouts, and it just kind of came up on you. And so that's even more worrisome in some degree. So and and again, you know, we're talking about schools here. uh, that uh, are not like office buildings, like I'd said. So it's uh, it was the unpredictability through the day uh, that a lot of our staff felt as if even when the day started and it started to get bad, could the call have been made at that time versus uh, waiting too long and then being forced into a very difficult situation.
1: So the union will be uh, getting to the bottom of that. Uh, is the first uh, line of contact then the department?
4: First line, yeah, was well, it's as you know, uh, to go back to your previous question, uh, so NLESD is no longer, it's now NL Schools, which is a part of government, and so government is our contact now, but it's the, it's the, uh, the section NL Schools, with, which is the primary focus. Uh, but, but ultimately, um, we were uh, guaranteed when all of this took place that NLESD would, uh, would dissolve into government, um, that there would be no change to service, no change to uh, any major structures. Uh, I got no reason to think that uh, that's related to that uh, but at the same time there there were uh, there were mistakes making here Made here. Bottom line, it was a mistake made to open yesterday. There needs to be the, the incident needs to be investigated. Hundreds of family were families yesterday. Uh, uh, at best, were unnerved by what took place, uh, and uh, to have people on the roads when it could have been avoided, uh, and the potential for it to have gone into day two and so on. That's that's worrisome from a from a teaching perspective and. Uh, Again, we're living in the middle of the North Atlantic, for God's sake. Uh, We know full well that it's better to err on the side of caution rather than than put uh, children at risk.
1: Trent Langdon, I do appreciate your time. Thank you very much.
4: Thank you, Linda. Very much appreciated.
1: And uh, that is the president of the uh, Newfoundland and Labrador Teachers Association, Trent Langdon. Uh, very concerned with what uh, transpired yesterday in the Corner Brook region and the, uh, um, how that kind of thing can be avoided in future. And I know that uh, there's been conversations with people uh, in the past who have uh, said, and I've been known to say it myself, you know, well, when I was a young kid, I used to walk backwards up a hill hill and
3: for you know, hours
1: <laughs> all of that stuff but uh, yeah. let's be clear now um this is very different from 20 years ago or 30 or 40 or 50 years ago uh traffic very high uh, a lot of traffic moving very quickly um multi-lane traffic uh newfoundland and labrador long distances over highways that may not may or may not be uh you know plowed right to the pavement if you know what i'm saying uh Uh, twisting turning roads up and down hills all of those hazards and uh, dangers and as soon as road conditions become uh, problematic and of course they don't put plows out when there's tons of uh, uh, vehicles on the road yes they do but you know what I'm saying it's easier to get roads cleared when the less traffic there is. Uh, So, you know, we saw that during Snowmageddon. They took traffic off the roads so they could concentrate on getting those roads cleared. So a lot of factors go into making these kinds of decisions, and it's not the same as it used to be. And, uh, you know, if you're putting your child on a bus and they got to go up over the highway or up over that ridge or down over that hill or in around the bowl of the the harbour near the water, uh, you're thinking about those things uh, a lot. So um, uh, anyway... It's, it's a serious issue, and it's going to generate, I think, a lot more conversation in the days ahead. And you will see more decisions that err on that side of caution. We've seen it many times in the past. Why it didn't occur in this particular circumstance, I'm not sure.
3: But, of course, you know, when they do err on the side of caution, then... Um you've got everybody complaining why do they shut down the schools yeah so i had to go so to work and
1: now i have to find childcare. Hey, you know i get it i've I, lived it's it. a
3: complex you know I, I do not envy the people that have to make the decisions and i know they're only based on the information that's available at the time and as you know the weather changes all the time so how do you make that decision
1: mm-hmm. and uh, you know let's be clear school board administration administrators um not, maybe some of them are but they're not meteorologists right, right? they're and just going according to the latest forecasts mm-hmm from what they and you know, it's all just a crapshoot really.
3: Yeah, and of course you can get your um source from a multitude of different places. So who is the person that you should go to when it comes to making those kind of decisions? It must be so hard to pick the team to make the decisions yeah. and then follow suit and then have to deal with the uh the uh, fallout, fallout, and there's going to be
1: fallout yeah. no matter what you do, no you're matter right, yeah. which way you you make a decision, you're going to get it. Um, so <laughs> it's it's not easy. I ha- I do have a lot of sympathy, but uh, yesterday's situation I suppose was a worst case scenario right. for a lot of uh, the decision makers. So um, I would expect that there's going to be, you know, um, anything, a lot more learned. caution shown. Yeah, lessons
3: learned, and it'll be interesting to know what they take out of it. You know, the uh, used to call them postmortem, but the debrief after what what comes from those yeah for sure
1: interesting indeed well we're up to news time now with VOCM's Noah Shepard stay tuned we're going to hear from Mount Pearl Mayor Dave Aker about uh, some of the goings-on in that particular city uh, coming up uh, right after this
0: Your voice in Newfoundland and Labrador's biggest conversation.
3: If you want to know what's happening in your province, tune in to Open Line every day.
0: Have your say weekday morning, starting at 9 a.m. on Open Line with Patty Daly on your VOCM.
1: And we are back. Well, off the top of the show, of course, we talked about uh, this uh, number of arrests that RNC have made in uh, connection with a series of uh, robberies and attacks in Mount Pearl that police believe are random in nature, but uh, being perpetrated by um, uh, people who are linked to each other. Um, There was at least one uh, attack outside the Reed Center on January 16th, and RNC are looking for possible uh, witness accounts or um, video or surveillance footage from that particular event another one reported on january 17th and others besides that rnc are uh, getting reports on dating back uh, a number of days um, uh, it's troubling indeed and we wanted to know what uh, mount pearl mayor dave Aker had to say about it well vocm's richard duggan uh, reached out to him and uh, spoke with him just a few uh, minutes ago
5: yeah, well, the circumstances that um, that we refer to that we see posted on Facebook, you know, are very rattling. I think to all of our residents, and as community leaders, we're very concerned about it. Uh, the primary focus of the city uh, in incidents like this is our safety, and we want to make sure that you know ultimately um, those that are behind all this, if that's investigated by the right authorities, uh, we want to put a stop to it because we want to make sure the community continues to be safe again. Um, so at this moment, I understand the RNC are in the midst of an investigation um, you know they, they'll comment in terms of the status there are from what I understand there are youths involved um and i also know too that uh, you know one of the people that was injured uh i know our city staff came to that person's help and help when that occurred um so we're glad to support the community primarily to support the rnc but there are youth involved and i guess there's going to have to be uh, a little bit of stick handling there around the uh, you know the right to privacy and the like but we're glad the rnc are on top of it and uh, we're glad this action being taken
4: Uh, You mentioned that that city staff uh, helped out one of the people who were injured. Uh, In what way did they help out?
5: Well, I understand that uh, one of our staff members came upon um, circumstances after an attack and basically assisted that individual to uh, get them in a safer place. Uh, this would be in our parks and recreation uh, uh, programming area. And, uh, you know, at the same time, we're glad now that's being referred to the RNC uh, for in- investigation. But I would caution, you know, for everybody involved, especially parents, uh, reach out to your children, find out what's going on and make sure, you know, if there's any danger that they're in, report. Immediately to the RNC so it can be investigated. We put a stop to it sooner rather than later.
4: What would your message be to any residents who are, are feeling uneasy upon hearing this news?
5: Well, we'd like to think it's an exception, but we can't take that for granted. So we're not going to make any assumptions about um, about people's safety until this investigation is over. Be cautious. Um, and make sure that uh, you know when you 're out and about uh, that you 're hanging around with your friends you 're doing the right things and just please ensure that you 're not part of what 's going on here. Those people that are uh, involved in this uh, this this group or squad. Uh, they'll be taking the task, and uh, hopefully the authorities will uh, get it to, su- to such a place that uh, lessons will be learned, and uh, we can ultimately put an end to it. Uh, there's no, there's no room in the community for any of this types of uh, this type of behavior, and uh, we're all working together to support each other to put an end to it.
1: And that's uh, Mount Pearl Mayor Dave Aker. And when he was referring uh, to this group or this squad, there's been uh, a lot of references on social media to a so-called Mount Pearl death squad. Now, the RNC wouldn't really address that aspect of it, but they do say that the people um, who um, the suspects in these particular types of cases... um, appear to be linked to each other um uh, even though the victims uh, are not uh, so that's what makes it uh, increasingly i guess uh, Concerning in the in the community because oftentimes when we hear about incidents of, of violence and the like, concerning as it may be, regardless of the circumstances, but when they are random in nature, that's what really takes it to a a completely different kind of level, and instills uh, fear in the community. So, uh, Dave Aker is saying, if you are aware of any of these types of incidents, um, let the RNC know and talk to your kids uh, to see what they know and if there's any information that can be uh, passed along so that uh, this type of behavior uh, society as a whole has to send a strong message that this type of behavior is simply not and will never be tolerated uh, so um, if you have any thoughts on that you are certainly welcome to give us a call well the province's largest public sector union meeting next week with government officials to discuss the continued shortage of social workers in newfoundland and labrador nate president jerry earl joins me now and NAPE has raised this numerous times over the last number of years, is uh, the uh, critical shortage of social workers. So what's the latest on that?
6: Again, this is professionals absolutely essential in Newfoundland and Labrador. Uh, they professional what they do. They're caring in what they do uh, and provide necessary services to, services to vulnerable populations on both the healthcare side and what we call open CSSD, where they deal in primary with use right across the province. Again, unfortunately, uh, we have not seen a lot of improvement, but we are uh, just next week, actually, the Deputy Minister reached out to sit down and talk with myself and representatives of the union. Uh, we have now put together a working group of social workers. Myself, as we always say you've got to use the frontline experts uh, to work towards. And some of this is not easy fixes. There's only so many social workers, for example, graduate from our only school of social work at Monmouth, Newfoundland, Labrador, so we had to find a way, can we increase the number of seats? And just since pre-pandemic to now, for example, on the CSD side, we have had a double in, in vacancy. So that means those lessened, the work is not lessened. It's actually gotten greater in the current environment. We every, every day talking about housing needs and people with addictions issues and mental health issues. So their social workers doing a lot of this work, uh, sort of. The column, the workload actually placed on them now is greater than it's ever been. Uh, There is criteria that social workers should only have a certain workload, but in some areas, Linda, we have social workers that are carrying double and triple the workload they should. That means the clients they serve are not getting the service necessary, and you can only imagine the stress in this case placed upon social workers knowing they cannot do what's necessary for their clients, and when they don't, in some instances, that can put people in vulnerable populations in in harm's way, basically. <laughs>
1: So uh, what are some of the um, other issues affecting uh, recruitment among social workers? You mentioned the workloads. Uh, I know in in the past there's been some difficulty in recruiting uh, social workers in rural parts of the province. Uh, And you talked about this increased demand with all the many uh, issues that are uh, out there, uh, particularly post-pandemic. So, um, you know, where are the biggest problems, I suppose?
6: There's certain areas of problems that are bigger, but some of these solutions are being worked toward because we believe, for example, in some of the review that's been done, again, a recent consultant was used to give us the same results that our frontline social workers were bringing forward because there are things they do in their workload that we believe alternate classification could do. Like a significant, not for want of better work, probably more clerical type work that an alternate classification could do rather than having been tied up with a lot of paperwork. Uh, then we got to look at is there ways that we can retain social workers and look at in rural parts of Newfoundland what 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 to do that to attract social workers in some rural remote areas, whether it be in the northern peninsula or into Labrador, uh, we, have, we may have to do something different. Uh, and quite frank, some of it comes down to compensation. But there's big parts here that do not revolve on compensation. Just the way some social workers are treated in some areas. I have never heard some workers be, af- I didn't mess with social workers. I'm sharing this with your jury, but please don't tell anyone I said it. You should never work in an environment where you're afraid to share your concerns with your frontline management. But again, I give kudos to the deputy minister in this department uh, just last fall. He took time after we met and he actually went out to some of the areas, met with social workers, we've had a conversation. And myself, the Deputy Minister is actually sitting down, I think it's next, middle of next week, uh, some follow-up, so we'll see what's happened now, say, in the last three-month term, and try to work collaboratively along with this department, Minister Pike, Deputy Minister, uh, what we can do now to address the concern. So that's that's a big piece, open up those lines of communication. And that's been happening in recent months. Uh, and I'm certainly open because it's not an easy fix. It's not something that we're going to fix in the short term, but a fix that must happen on um, behalf of people that rely on social workers and for the social workers themselves because, again, I've had social workers uh, three months into the career calling and saying, I just can't do this. But we need these social workers for a long career, not thinking three months in, they may abandon the career.
1: So you've got your meeting with the minister next week. Is government more open to hearing these concerns and, and addressing them?
6: Yes, I'd say the current minister, the deputy minister that's there, uh, actually, they reached out and said they were they read some information they want to share with us. So they have opened those lines. Now that's the first thing you've heard me say before, in order to resolve problems, uh, and one thing we do at the union, one thing I can say Nate does, people say we bring issues forward, but always when we bring them forward, we are setting down, attempting to offer solutions and trying to work our way through those solution either. And again, we most often use what I refer to as the experts, and that's the frontline workers that do this work, uh, because we need their voice and we need them to be heard. And that, that was a part of the problem some time back. They just were not being heard, they were not being respected for work. So that's a big piece that doesn't cost anything other than listen uh, and then try to work through those solutions. And again, some of it is around making sure uh, the individuals here that are highly educated and professional are appropriately compensated for the work they do.
1: Jerry Earl, I do appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Thank you, Linda, for the opportunity. And they're holding a meeting next week, as he just indicated with the deputy minister and minister, to discuss some of their concerns. Well, when we come back after the break, uh, provincial government working with uh, Smart Ice to monitor and maintain snowmobile routes between Nain and Natwishish. Why is that important? We'll tell you why coming up right after this.
0: Start your day off right. Get the latest updates on news, traffic, and weather conditions. Plus, interviews with today's newsmakers. Your go-to source before you get on the go. 5.30 to 9 a.m. weekdays. Your VOCM mornings.
1: And we are back, and the provincial government partnering with Smart Ice to monitor and maintain snowmobile routes between Nain and Natwashish. Through a combination of technology and local knowledge and observations, Smart Ice provides the latest information possible to help travelers plan their routes, whether it's A quick trip or a lengthy journey over the ice? Well, Manager of Nunatsiavut Operations Rex Hallwell joins me now from Nain. So uh, tell us a little bit about this new partnership now uh, with uh, Smart Ice.
7: Yes, so Smart Ice, we have partnered with the province um, in the sense that the province was taking care of the winter trails between, um, it it takes care of the winter trails between Nain and Happy Valley Goose Bay, um, but the portion that we have partnered with them is a portion that uh, the winter trails um, on the sea ice that goes from Nain to Natrashish.
1: Right, because Smart Ice is all about, uh, you know, providing, I guess, up-to-the-minute um, sort of assessments of the ice conditions.
7: Yes. I wouldn't say up-to-the-minute, but, but we, we do real-time ice monitoring when we're out on the sea ice. And then when we come back to the communities, that's when uh, we put the information out for their community members to see and, and to disseminate and to make informed decisions with our with our data for them to, you know, make safe decisions while they're traveling on the sea ice.
1: So, what kind of a difference will this make?
7: It, it, it. The difference is that instead of um, smart ice doing our own thing what we were doing last year and then the winter trails doing their own thing last year this year it it, it just makes sense for us to make a partnership because the winter trails last year was was a separate entity and smart ice was a separate entity and really it's just a natural progression that smart ice um take over takes over this this winter trails because it, it it's something in the line that we do anyway the winter trails is meant to um you know to have a, have a safe visible trail between here and Natwishish when people are traveling on the sea ice. And Smart Ice does the same thing with the ice thickness, you know, maybe here to Natwishish or anywhere else people travel on snowmobile. So it's just a natural partnership um, with discussions with the winter trails and the other providers who are doing it that it delved into a partnership between us and the province because it was two very similar jobs uh, being done by two separate entities. But with the partnership, um, we kind of can meld the two similar jobs into one.
1: How do you typically collect your uh, data, your information?
7: When we travel on the sea, you know, ice, we, we have a few tools that, that we use before we actually travel on the sea. You know, um, we use satellite technology. We, you know, we talk to people who have been out early on the ice and we get information from, from them. Um, and then, you know, we actually go out on the ice. And, and a lot of the – when we go out on the ice, our operators, we use traditional knowledge, you know. Um, and, and we – Gather these three or four different pieces of information, then to make an informed decision before we go out on the ice. So then, when we're out on the ice, um, when we're when we're traveling along with the snowmobile, what we are towing behind is called a smart comedy. And what it does is, in real time, as the operators driving the snowmobile, it tells them the thickness of the ice. Um, it's not meant to replace a re- traditional knowledge. You know, they're they're supposed to be driving ahead, monitoring the ice as they're traveling, but. You know, the, they have the information right in front of them. Um, you know, if, if they're not quite sure, they can at least look down at the, at the information that's being shown to them so they can make a choice if it's safe or not. So, um, so that using that information, we can mark the trail, the thickness of the ice, anywhere that snowmobile trails. And, and that, that's one of the main things, one of the main tools that we will be using to monitor the ice between Nain and Nettrashish.
1: In a bigger picture kind of um, scenario, are, are you also following trends? Uh, you know, from year to year.
7: Honestly, no, because of the seasons. We like we have been doing ice monitoring in, in and around name for the last four years. Um, you know, personally, personally, I have seen the trends of the ice season being shorter, um, but within the last four years of us monitoring the the. Temperature, the climate, the ice seasons have been so erratic it 's kind of hard to see with hard data from the smart community runs that we we are seeing a decline in ice thickness um, maybe in a, in another you know four to ten years we will see um, with you know with, and when we do the smart community runs we we go. Uh, on a set route. So maybe in four or five years, if if we disseminate the data, if we go to a similar route every year, we can probably see that, yes, year after year, the ice is getting thinner. But within the last four years where we have been doing it, there is no real hard data to support that. But, you know, anybody can tell you um, that climate change is real, and especially up here, like we are seeing shorter ice seasons um, almost every year up here in, in Labrador.
1: And how, finally, how can uh, travelers on the coast of Labrador um, access uh, your information?
7: All of our information uh, goes through a app called Siku. Siku um, is another um, indigenous company, and um, it was actually formed in Saniclo, um Nunavut. So it's an app that you can download on Apple or Android devices, and all of our smart community data gets uploaded as soon as the smart comic run is done, um, the, the data is there for people to see. And and for people who are not familiar with it, it it's color coded. Um, it, it it's very easy. To, it may take you a couple of minutes just to learn, but after that, you know, once you once you go back to the app, you can see the thickness of that because it's, it's color coded. And you know, after a while, people will get used to using. So that's what people who have the app to do. Um, but also here in Nain, you know, in other communities, a lot of people may not have phones or internet. So in, in these communities where we're established, um, the operators will actually print out the maps where the smart company runs go to. And again, those those maps are color, uh, they're printed in color and they, they have the scale down there. So people who don't have the ability to look on the app, um, you know, they may run to their local post office or northern and they can see the data that was collected in that smart community run um, So, yeah, we tried online is number one, but then we try to uh, cater to the people who don't have internet. So we'll post them up in the most frequented places where people may go to.
1: And very detailed data, as you just indicated.
7: Yes, very much so. Like the smart companies, as they're traveling on, um, you know, they they read the thickness 60 times a second. So the data that we put out, um, you know, the the operator could go for, you know, a quick 10-minute ride in the harbor or they could travel for eight hours on the sea ice and all that data is there and collected and then put out on the app for people to um see and to you know take that data and to augment their traditional knowledge to again hopefully they make smarter decisions before they travel on the sea ice using our data as, as a part of their traditional knowledge
1: any hopes of uh, expanding this beyond uh Nunatsiavut?
7: <laughs> so this this year is kind of a pilot, I, I would imagine. Um, but I, I do foresee this being a good successful year between um, the partner and Smartice here in Nain and going to Natwishish. We will see how this year goes. I'm very optimistic that this year will work well. Um, and then uh, there are a couple other routes farther south um, between Natwishish to Hopedale to and Postville that the province is still doing on their own. So um, barring a super unsuccessful year, which I know we we will have a good successful year, um, I can see us possibly extending this to to the other communities who avail of the winter trails as well.
1: Rex Hallwell, I really appreciate your time. Thank you very much.
7: Yes, you're welcome, Linda.
1: And Rex Hallwell is a manager of new Nazi operations uh, in Maine. So uh, yeah, it's fascinating technology uh, using some uh, observations and local knowledge, historical knowledge going back um, and um, the, the latest uh, data that they uh, can collect using these cometics that they uh, drag behind them on the sea ice just to see where the thicknesses are. and they produce these regular maps that show uh, people exactly you know how to plan their route because because of course sea ice is becoming more problematic things that you used to take for granted you can't take for granted anymore and uh, the seasons are getting shorter and people still need to go where get to where they're going and when you don't have <laughs> paved highways to get there uh, you got to take your snowmobile
3: Out on the ice. Yeah, and I mean, I just can't imagine what it would be like without them having to make the decision to go or not to go in the thickness of the ice. I think it's a wonderful thing that they're doing, and I can only imagine this being expanded.
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, what a difference it's going to make in. preventing uh, tragedies mm-hmm. you know uh so yeah a fabulous program i have to say uh, and so fascinating i love anything with technology science uh-uh. so yeah really great stuff <laughs> so that's it for us uh claudette you got any plans this weekend or what a little bit you know
3: i'm still depressed take it down christmas maybe. oh really every oh. weekend i try <laughs> okay <laughs> so i'm still I'm sorry i raised it yeah i <laughs> I'm not going to have too much fun. I'm going to try to squeeze in some exercising and meal prep. What about you? Uh, sleep. <laughs> Looking out the window and a lazy boy. Yeah. Rest. Sleep. <laughs> now we're going to be doing a lot of running around. Yeah. yeah. I'm yeah. sure you're a busy mom. So.
1: Oh, weekends. What is it somebody used to say? The weekend warrior? Yeah, it's like that now. <laughs> And you come back to work and you're like, well, what? What? What was that?" I'm more tired now yeah. than I was on Friday. Well, I certainly hope you'll make some time for self-care. <laughs> oh, well, thank you for that, Claudette. <laughs> Maybe we'll do it together. Uh, I, anyway, I hope you all ha- take time for self-care this weekend and uh, have a safe and happy weekend. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye-bye for now.